Hey friends, what's up? It's such an honor to be with you today. Thank you for making time to join with us online. I just want to give a huge warm welcome to our church family out there. Man, I love you guys, miss you guys. We are all praying for you a lot. Can't wait to give you a hug, give you a handshake, give you a dap. Man, hopefully we'll be able to do that uh, very soon in the coming days. I also want to just extend a warm welcome to all of our guests joining with us today. If this is your first time tuning in to Antioch Dallas, man, welcome. And I sincerely hope that in this time you're encouraged, you're inspired, and most of all, most of all, our whole church body just wants you to know that Jesus loves you. He like really, really loves you. For those of you I hadn't had the privilege to meet yet, my name is Jeremy West, and I'm the missions pastor and prayer director here at our church. My wife, Carolee, and I, we've been at Antioch Dallas for four years, coming up on four years here in July, and we deeply love and we're so thankful for this crazy bunch of people we get to call our church family. Speaking of crazy, man, this quarantine time has been crazy, has it not? It's been a crazy experience for our family of six, just kind of crammed into our house uh, in between, you know, trying to get some work done at home and changing diapers and trying to download my kids' assignments from like one of the 57 apps or websites uh, that their school is using. We've actually enjoyed our time uh, together. We've explored the creek by our house and played a lot of wiffle ball, uh, you know, sidewalk chalk, that whole thing, my, my quads are still recovering from all the bike rides, not going to lie. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we broke our household record for screen time in a three-month period. Uh, but it's been fun. It's been crazy. It's been challenging time. And I know everyone can relate one way or another. But in this time, I've been reminded of how in every unique season and circumstance and stage of life, there's unique invitations from Jesus uh, to come to him and to learn from him. He's always working. And we believe that in this season, our church has an invitation from Jesus to a deeper and more fervent devotion to prayer. Now, as the unrest and the tension in our nation kind of comes to fever pitch in this time with the recent murder of George Floyd, been ripping up open wounds and of injustice in our land, and many face economic hardships related to COVID, or everyone's just trying to navigate through life and the challenges that come with the circumstances related to COVID, uh, not to mention just the daily pressures of life, right? The stresses of life. Jesus is inviting us in, in the midst of this time to pray, to come to him, to pray, and to learn to pray again. And I want to encourage you with this, that we have historical precedent for this invitation, you know, in the book of Acts, in the Bible, we read that the early church was living in a very unique time of history. It was exploding with political and racial tensions, just like our world today. The cultural, economic gaps were wider than ever. People faced the pressures of daily life of providing for their families. You know, Jesus had just finished his earthly ministry, and as he ascended into heaven, to the astonishment of all of his followers, his invitation to them was this, to wait and to pray. And that's what they did. They were obedient to that command. We see in Acts 1:14, it says that they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. Behind the scenes and before the breakthrough, before the church was launched, that would change the world. Ordinary people like you, like I, were together devoted in prayer. And as they cried out to the Lord with worship and prayer, God moved powerfully in them 
and through them. You know, thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. Unbelievable miracles began to happen. Generosity just began to overflow within the church as people shared their belongings with one another. In fact, even systemic racism in that time began to crumble as the gospel went forward. What was the secret? It all started with obedience to Jesus, to the command that he had given to devote themselves to prayer. And in our day, the secret to breakthrough we need is not a new method. It's not a new strategy. I love this quote from E.M. Bounds that's always resonated with me. He says, man is looking for better methods. God is looking for men of prayer because man is God's method. So as a church family, that's exactly who God has called us to be in this hour of history. Men and women of prayer. Just like the early church, we're called to be people who are together devoted to prayer behind the scenes and before the breakthrough. And you might say, cool, awesome, Jeremy. That's awesome. That's great. But what do I do? How do I pray? I mean, I'm so glad you asked. And I want you to know you're in the right place. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time or the idea of prayer sounds intimidating to you, we want you to know this is the perfect Sunday to jump in because today we're embarking together on a new teaching series about how to pray. You're in the perfect place. Now, we usually don't do this, but during this teaching series, we encourage everyone to get a copy of Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, and read it along with us. In this book, Pete uses what I found to be a very helpful acronym that gives a simple model or map for how to pray. The acronym is PRAY, P-R-A-Y, and it stands for Pause, Rejoice, Ask, and Yield. And each Sunday during this series, we're going to unpack one of these components, digging a little deeper and practicing together. So, are you ready? Put your seatbelt on, turn to your neighbor, whoever you're with, whoever's sitting there next to you on the couch, and say, let's get ready to ride. All right, now that I've got you all fired up about prayer, I want to be gut level honest with you. If you're anything like me, (laughs) when you hear the word prayer, you might also feel, along with the excitement and the inspiration, a little tinge of guilt. Or a feeling of intimidation or anxiety might rise up within you. Maybe you've been in a life group or gone to a prayer meeting and you saw how good everyone else prayed, whatever that means, and that intimidated you. Maybe you're not a Christian yet and prayer is like a, like a foreign language to you. Maybe you've tried to pray and felt you weren't good at it or you were doing it wrong or you weren't doing it right. I remember as a young Christian, I heard a preacher say uh, one time, tell this story about a guy uh, in England who prayed so often and so fervently that the wood floor next to his bed had rivets in it because of the hours that he spent in prayer each day. I remember hearing that and just going, yeah, my floor doesn't look like that. I look at on the floor next to my bed, what I see is like a burger wrapper and dirty clothes, a dirty bowl that was filled with ice cream from last night, a handful of great books that I haven't read yet. If you're like me, when you hear these stories of prayer warriors and great intercessors while being inspired, man, it can also maybe makes you feel like a loser. 
I know I'm not supposed to say this because I'm the you know, guy with the mic and the pastor here, but even part of me has become weary of praying at times. And I feel guilty about feeling weary and wanting to maybe just watch the next Avengers movie rather than take time to pray. Maybe you've tried really hard to pray more but are overwhelmed and want to give up. Maybe you've lost patience with God. If so, I want you to know you're not the only one. You're not the first. We're going to look at the story of a guy in the Bible today. There's this guy in the Bible who's a normal dude like you and I who loved God. He wanted to live for God and live in relationship with God. But he had a crisis in his relationship with God when it came to prayer. And the breakthrough he experienced is one that I believe God has for us today. His name was Elijah. Now, when James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the early church, taught on prayer, he made sure to mention a few lines about Elijah. In James 5.17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just like you and me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Okay, Jeremy, I, <laughs> I thought you said I was going to be encouraged because he was a man like me. I mean, this dude is opening and shutting the heavens. Isn't he also the guy that called fire down from heaven? Man, I mean, I'm nothing like Elijah. I thought he, he raised someone from the dead. I'm nothing like this dude. This guy's living on another level. But, but hold on, hold on. Let's take a deeper look because you're more like him than you think. So we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 19. Grab your Bible, your phone, whatever device you're using. We'll also have the scriptures on a screen. And we are going to read together and learn from God's word. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. Ahab, who was the king of Israel, told Jezebel, who was his wife, the demonic lady, all that Elijah had done. I'm going to just pause really quick to give you a quick recap of what has just happened. Elijah has had a showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And he called fire down from heaven in his prayer. And it consumed a burnt offering. And it was a showdown that put to shame all of the prophets of Baal. He had also prayed and the heavens were shut and did not rain for three plus years. And then he prayed again and the heavens opened and gave rain. I mean, this guy is moving and shaking in prayer. We're going to keep reading. Jezebel told, I mean, uh, Ahab told Jezebel how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. He had totally annihilated this demonic army that brought in, uh, was wreaking injustice across the land and, it, and set uh, the oppressed people free. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them, like one of them by tomorrow. Shots fired. <laughs> totally shots fired. Then Elijah was afraid, and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Listen to this. Within days of seeing God's mighty acts and power released through his prayers, he's running for cover in fear. He's gone from the mountaintop of faith into the trenches of faith faster than you can say Jezebel. You ever been there? I have. 
Now, God is totally in control, and he is going to teach something. He's using this situation to teach something to Elijah, something about relationship with him in prayer that is so critical for us today. Keep reading in verse 4. But he himself, talking about Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now listen to this bold prayer of faith from this man of God. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You know, we have a word for that. We call that burnout. Face to face with his human limitations. God, I'm done. I can't go on. It's too hard. I'm not awesome. I'm weak. I'm scared. I'm human. I'm broken. I'm no better than anyone else. And honestly, that's a great place to be. When you say that you're no better than anyone else, that you come to the end of what you can do, it's always a good place to be in prayer and call that humility. Verse five, it says that he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. God sends an angel to him. Verse six, he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones with a jar of water. It was probably the first ever created angel food cake right there with water. And I love this about God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13, he says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even in our difficult moments, when we're in that place like Elijah, just sitting down saying, God, I am done. I don't have another word to pray, another thing to say. When we've given up, God has not. And he comes after us. Jesus is willing to leave the 99 to go searching for the one sheep that has lost their way. Maybe that's you today, friend. Maybe that's you. You've lost your way. I want you to know that God remains faithful and he's coming after you just like he came after Elijah. So we'll keep reading. And he ate and drank and lay down again. So he eats the food, goes back to sleep. Verse seven, and the angel of the Lord again came a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. Friend, God knows the journey is too great for us. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're beset with weakness. And so he provides strength. Verse eight, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. In this place of disillusionment and fear, Elijah needs a breakthrough and a perspective shift. He needs to meet with God. And so what does he do? He goes to Mount Horeb. What is significant about Mount Horeb? It was known as the Mount of God. Mount Horeb was the same place where God met Moses in the burning bush. And again, later, where God revealed his glory to Moses and to the people of Israel. It was a sacred place, a place of encounter, a place of prayer and of communion with God. I've got a question for you. Where is your place of encounter with God? 
Where is your place of encounter with God? Now, I'm not saying that we can't pray and worship and encounter God anywhere at any time, any place, or that we have to do it in a certain place. That's, that's not the point. That's not the point here. The truth is, though, that if we want to encounter God everywhere all the time, we must start with the habit of meeting him somewhere at some time. For Jesus, his custom was to go to the Mount of Olives into a nearby community garden where he would pray, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. At other times, Jesus got up early and went for a walk, Mark 1, 35. My friend Terry does that. He walks the park around his house often and prays. Peter and John, Jesus' early followers, went to the church building at 3 p.m. to pray, Acts 3, 1. For those that have homes, Jesus encouraged you to go into a special room in your house and shut the door and pray, Matthew 6, 6. For me personally, in, in this season, I have a special chair at my house. It's a special chair that I go to to meet God on a regular basis. I only sit in that chair when I'm engaging with the Lord in prayer and Bible reading. I don't watch TV in the chair. I don't read the news. I don't check Facebook. I don't even read to my kids. It's set aside to be a place of encounter with God. My wife, uh, she sits on the swing on our back porch to meet with God. What is your place of encounter? I want to encourage you, find one or create one. Make a space in a time where you can meet with God. I want to encourage you, share it with someone in your community. So for Elijah, he goes to Mount Horeb, a place to encounter God. In verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, Wait for it. It's profound. What are you doing here, Elijah? What a great question from God. He's cutting to the core of Elijah's heart. Why are you here praying? Why are you here to meet with me? What is this all about? Why are you here, Elijah? So you can fulfill a religious obligation, so you can check the box, so your life can get better, so you won't have as many problems, so you can get good results in your life. Why are you here? What are you doing here? God is helping Elijah get to the motivation of his heart. He's purifying the motivation of prayer. And Elijah is honest. It's a great thing to do. Be honest with God or honest to God. He shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. Look, verse 10, it says, He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I've been so passionate for you. I've given my life to see your kingdom come. I've been working. I've been obeying. I've been trusting. I've been praying. I've been doing all of these things. But God, look what's going on. For the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and only I, only I am left. People aren't listening, God. Things aren't going right. Things aren't working out, and I feel alone. He didn't mention the breakthroughs that he had along the way. He's kind of losing that perspective. But he says, they seek my life to take it away. I'm afraid, and I think you've abandoned me. Verse 11, and God said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. That's it. <laughs> just, go, just go out and just stand. Just go out and stand. On the, 
stand before you, just, just go be with you? You don't want, want me to pray or intercede or do something? Just go be present before you? That's exactly what God says. And this is the exact same thing God told Moses on the exact same mountain hundreds of years before in Exodus 33, 21. Go wait in my presence and I will show you the glory of my goodness. And behold, the Lord passed by. He goes out to stand on the mountain and the Lord passes by. The Lord draws near. God makes his presence known to Elijah. But listen what happens. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke them in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Listen to this. As soon as he goes to meet with God, all sorts of chaos breaks loose. You know, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can. Many times, as soon as I sit in my chair to encounter and meet with God, to be still in his presence, all my thoughts and fears, all my anxieties, and all the worldly desires come to the surface like an earthquake. I suddenly remember all the things that I have to do and the appointments and the responsibilities and the deadlines. Distractions swirl around like a tornado. All to keep me from getting in that chair. All to get me up out of that chair. But Elijah waits in God's presence. He waits in God's presence. A verse that's become very dear to me over the course of this last year is Psalm 57.1. It says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And that's exactly what he does. Exactly what the psalmist had done. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper came. And literally here, the Hebrew word says the sound of silence. The sound of a calm. And when Elijah heard it, he heard the silence. He heard the calm. He wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, Again, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Same question. Same question. Surely we're going to get a different answer. Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. <laughs> he says the same thing. What's, what is the difference in his reply? I mean, he says the exact same thing. I even looked it up in the original language. I was like, surely something changed, you know. But in the Hebrew language, it's the same. He says the same thing. So what's the difference? What, what just happened? What, what did we just witness? What was all this about? You know how you can say the same thing, but it means something totally different in a different context? That's what's happened here. What changed is the context. But what actually changed in the context? 
Here's what changed. Elijah paused long enough. He was still long enough. He waited long enough to let the dust settle, the thoughts fade, and to become aware of the presence of God. He met God in silence and stillness. He actually practiced what the psalmist had long before encouraged the people of God to do. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In Elijah's busyness of doing for God, he had forgotten the one thing that is necessary. The must-have of life, the important, important truth of being with God, pausing to be aware of his presence. The lesson that was taught hundreds of years earlier through Moses on the same mountain, was true in that moment. This lesson is that the promised land without the presence of God is empty and worthless. The answered prayer without your presence, O God, is empty. I don't want your answers more than I want you. Your presence is everything. Because Elijah had paused long enough, he was still to let the dust settle, the chaos settle, enough to be with God, to be in his presence. It changed everything. He was still frustrated, right? Desperate, still had the same questions, but it's totally different ballgame when you know that God is with you. When you have been in his presence, everything changes. And in the following verses of the story, God gives Elijah the direction for the breakthrough that was needed. But it came only after he was willing to be still and to know that God is God and that he will be exalted. He will be exalted in all the nations. Be still and know and be with God. What is it for you, friend? Be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted in your marriage. He will be exalted in your workplace. He will be exalted in your children. He will be exalted in that situation at work. Just be still and know that he is God. We have to learn to pause. So my friends, I want to submit to you as we begin this journey of just learning how to pray or in in our case, relearning how to pray like Elijah went through, that it actually begins with stopping. The journey of of learning, of starting to learn how to pray actually begins with stopping, with pausing to be still and simply acknowledge God's presence. To put down our prayer lists, to put down our prayer goals and our prayer agendas and our anxieties, to just set it all aside. Set aside the comparison to other people and all the should-haves and the ought-tos and the I'm-gonna's and the God-why-won't-you's and just take a deep breath and learn to be still and know He is God to acknowledge His presence. The first step in our PRAY acronym, 
P-R-A-Y. P, it stands for pausing. Now, I'm going to say it in a way, and I, and I know, it's totally corny. I know. And some of you, you're going to roll your eyes. You're going to chuckle. Uh, I'm going to get a hashtag or something from somebody, but it's going to stick with you. Okay? Here it is. You ready? We must learn to pause and pray attention to God's presence. <laughs> there it is. I told you it was corny. You can go ahead and laugh, hashtag the dad joke, but don't forget it. Because prayer begins with pausing and praying attention to God's presence. Praying attention to God's presence. Prayer begins with paying attention, with acknowledging the presence of God. Now you're thinking, awesome, Jeremy. Okay, I'm inspired. I got it. I need to pause. The quarantine's kind of helping because it's just staying at home. And I want to pray attention to God's presence. So what do I actually do? Okay, like, how do I do this? How do I put this into practice? Do I need to find a mountain that I should go to? Do I need to get a cloak like Elijah that I wrap around my face and pray? What do I do? How does this work for me? You know, I've got four kids, maybe a busy job. There's deadlines this week. There's chaos. There's stuff happening. Help me out. And absolutely, I want to, but not just me, man. In fact, we have the blessing of drawing on literally the wisdom of thousands of years of church history and thousands and thousands of saints like you and I who've gone before and lived this out, who have learned to pay attention to God's presence. So practically, kind of where the rubber meets the road, here are two simple things I want to give to you that you can do to begin to practice right now. The first I already mentioned was find a place to encounter and meet with God, a place and a time to encounter and meet with God a place you won't be distracted or interrupted, a place that you can dedicate to meeting with God regularly. It might be a room in your house, a chair, that spot on the couch. It might be a park or a local coffee shop. Maybe it's your car. Or for those of you who prefer to have movement, right? You don't like sitting still, but you want to practice pausing, but you want to do it with movement. Maybe it's a walk or a run or a bike ride. Jesus, he liked to hike. He hiked mountains and prayed all the time. Wherever it is, find that place. And then I want you to tell someone in your community about it. Hey, brother, sister, this is my place where I'm going to pause and I'm going to encounter Jesus. And second, I want to share with you a simple, ancient practice in the church that can help you to just slow down and to acknowledge God's presence. It's called breath prayer. Sounds simple, right? Super simple. And here's how it works. In your place of encounter where you go to, to meet with God, just sit quietly or walk or whatever posture you take and begin to just take slow breaths. And just fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your heart on Jesus. Personally, I love to just take a deep breath and acknowledge and recognize that that breath was a gift from God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Fix your attention on Jesus. And as you just breathe slowly, I encourage you to periodically just repeat a simple word, a phrase, or verse to the Lord. And this is called a breath prayer, literally a prayer that can be uttered in one breath. Here are a few examples I want to give to you. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Jesus, you're the way, the truth, the life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Or simply, thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I need you. Continue repeating the phrase slowly, periodically, just fixing your heart and your attention on the Lord Jesus. And as you sense his presence, thank him. So just for a few minutes, we're going to practice together. We're going to practice. We're going to just keep this video live. I want you right there, just right where you're at, just to be still. Take a posture where you can be still. Just take deep breaths with me. And let's just receive it as the grace of God for our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can continue to do that. The presence of God falls in our rooms, our place of encounter. Scripture says that we draw near to God. He's drawn near to us. He's already ready. He's eager to meet with you. So I want to encourage you, this week, take a few minutes each day and just slow down and just pause and pray attention to God's presence. Now that we've paused and we're praying attention to His presence, it's time to move on to our next step, R, which stands for rejoicing. But we're going to address this one next week. As we close, I'd like to just share a short prayer with you that I came across a few years back that fits our occasion of beginning again in the journey of prayer. Holy One, there's something I wanted to tell you. But there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, And I forget what it is that I wanted to say to you. And mostly I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Eternal one, there's something I wanted to tell you, but my mind races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing, and leaky relationships I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt, and with things I covet. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is, don't give up on me, but laugh with me, and try again with me, and I will with you too. What I wanted to ask is for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here, now, then, there, and always. Amen.